This week, the girls have simply had it with one another, so they've decided to seek professional help. Going to therapy, they each share the annoying traits that have them all at each other's throats. Sure, Blanche is selfish, Rose is dumb, Dorothy is annoyingly productive, and Sophia is always sharing her wisdom, but does that mean that they shouldn't live together? According to the doctor, it does. So, will the girls break up? Will the oh boys of this episode ever end? Will Sophia finally start getting paid for her stories? Today we'll be discussing all of that and more in Three on a Couch. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come Fun fact, today's title is inspired by the 1932 crime drama Three on a Match, which starred Humphrey Bogart and Betty Davis. In case you're wondering why they weren't counting Sophia as a couch member. Whoa, what is this? We are outside a fancy schmancy business building, not the house, when a gaggle of Ellens come bursting into a pink door at a doctor's office. Ta-da! As the line of Dorothy, Sophia, Blanche, and Rose make it inside the pink carpeted waiting area adorned with two dark pink chairs, reminiscent of Rose's clam ones in her room, flowers, and a window made of that horrible 80s tile-like glass, Dorothy is the first to reach the receptionist. In a different yet equally stunning duster from last week, she sternly tells the uncredited receptionist they are there for an appointment under Zbornak. In a pink and black polka-dotted blouse and black blazer, Blanche is confused why it would be under her name and not Devereaux. Meanwhile, Rose thinks that because coming to a counselor was her idea, it should be under Nyland. Annoyed at the argument over nothing, Dorothy changes the name to Nyland, which only upsets Blanche more as we all know how she handles not being the center of attention. Sophia, who has already taken a seat, puts the argument to an end. They are having a relationship emergency, and they need to get talking to the therapist, or head shrinker as they have been referred to, which is also the origin of calling mental health doctors shrinks. So for all she cares, they can put the name down as German mathematician Lipschitz, Rudolf Lipschitz. Coming out of a pink door of his own is Dr. Ashley. He may look familiar, especially as a therapist, and that's because he's being played by Philip Sterling. I am not sure about the logic of having one actor on the same show play someone in the same profession but only change his name and location, but here we are. Getting another visit with Dr. Berensfeld, whom Blanche went to visit when she learned she was going through the change. Treating the entrance to his office as though it was the introduction round on the dating game, Sophia introduces herself and shares a fun fact. She doesn't need this kind of psychiatrist. She'd be happy with a bartender pouring her a heavy drink. Dorothy is polite enough to reach out for a handshake, as does Rose in her blue skirt suit with a peplum blouse. 
Bookending their arrivals with another fun fact is Blanche, who shares she is hypermobile, a.k.a. she's double-jointed, but that doesn't actually exist. It's so much easier for me to say, for example, that I have double-jointed elbows than hypermobile ones. I'm sure Blanche was referencing a sexier part of her body, but Coco, why don't you tell the people how much you love my hypermobile elbows? It makes me feel ill, uh, to be honest. I don't like to see a joint go... I don't like to see a joint go that way. That's fair. And it looks like your arm... It really looks like your arm could break at any moment. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it looks like... That's what I expected. It just looks like the, the veins are just so much closer to the surface <laughs> when you do that. It's just... It's dangerous. It really, it really bothers me. Is it just your elbows? Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Getting totally inside the office, let us take a moment to appreciate the pure 80s-ness of it all. From the glass table with pale flowers to the matching thin artwork with thick purple matting, this room's got it all. Cream and grayish palm frond wallpaper, a tall white and gold lamp, more of the small window tiles, Walls the color of Caucasian skin tone crayon? My God. Getting started, they've come to get help as roommates. Before getting to the issues, the doc would like more of an introduction than the informal one they gave upon arriving. Dorothy's first. She's a divorced teacher. Before she can go on, Blanche interrupts to share that she's been separated from her husband by death, the only way a man would leave her. Her About Me section is essentially the stats from her driver's license, including her height, weight, age, and that her hair is its natural color. Dorothy sarcastically agrees, yeah, Blanche's hair is as natural as the famously redheaded, naturally brunette Lucille Ball. What? What was that? Lucy? Was a... Brunette. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. A lot of hair dye. You feel like everything in your life has been a lie. Shaken to the core is what I was going to say. <laughs> wow. Good one, yeah. Lucy. You got me again. Attempting to move away from the personal info, the doctor asks Rose about herself. She confesses to using a little bit of peroxide on her brunette hair as well. This elicits a shut-up shout-fest until Blanche begs Rose and Dorothy to stop. This triggers Sophia asking Blanche to be the one to stop with her extreme southern accent. It's not like she's living on the set of the 1986 to 1993 Atlanta-based sitcom Designing Women. And another thing, I am sick and tired of being made to feel that if I am not a member of a little family with 2.4 children who goes just to Jerry Falwell's church and puts their hands over their hearts every morning, that I am unreligious, unpatriotic, and un-American because I have news for you, Mr. Briquette. All liberals are not kooks any more than all conservatives are fascists. And the last time I checked, God was neither a Democrat nor a Republican. And just for your information, yes, I am a liberal, but I am also a Christian. And I get down on my knees and pray every day on my own turf, on my own time. One of the things that I pray for, Mr. Briquette, is that people with power will get good sense and people with good sense will get power and that the rest of us will be blessed with the patience and the strength to survive the people like you in the meantime. You know, Coco, we've talked about designing women before. I loved that show when I was younger. 
And I often wonder what it is that has kept it from being as celebrated as the girls. Is it just that it wasn't as on as much or is it more problematic or more dated? Yeah, it's probably I think many almost all sitcoms just age horribly. Uh, Home Improvement, for example, mm. which is just at the top of my head now for all, uh? all times. <laughs> I think we should give it a whirl. Yeah. And we'll see. I love Meshack Taylor. Yeah. I love Berg. everyone on it. I love I had a, a huge crush on Delta Berg when I was when I was watching that as a boy. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. I like him curvy. <sighs> yeah, you and do. Sassy. <laughs> Clearly. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Getting to the meat of it, Dorothy explains that after five years, it has become intolerable for any of them to live with any of them. When the doctor wants to know what has caused those feelings, Blanche is quick to point at Dorothy as the problem, which Rose backs up. Offended, Dorothy claims it's Blanche who's the selfish one. What's shocking here is that they haven't come to discuss the lack of trust and the bullying that we've witnessed in the last few episodes. But who am I to say? I'm no therapist. With a whimpering voice of slight disgust, Blanche defends her reputation as a giving person. Sophia points out they weren't talking about giving it away. Going back to Blanche being selfish, the doctor asks Dorothy for an example. For that, we'll need to go back in time. Back in time. Back in time. Back in time. We're back at the house, of which Ellen just frantically entered. A dog grabs the gorilla by the nuts is the punchline. Oh, sorry, that blur of blue and purple was Blanche, and she's apparently running late, explaining to Dorothy, who appears to be lying under a fabulously 70s blankie in her yellow robe, that she will be ready to go in a jiff, as she just got her hair and nails done at the same time. Running to her room to change her shoes, she finally realizes Dorothy appears to be in a condition. She runs back to see what she's up to. Well, not much, as she has a scary high fever of 104. Blissfully unaware of what her friend just said, Blanche can't understand why she isn't dressed for the night yet. Dorothy isn't worried about getting dressed. The mortician can dress her in whatever once she's arrived at the funeral home. Still ignoring her very ill friend, Blanche starts to do the sick cleanup. I mean, is there a messier place than the couch and coffee table surrounding someone with a cold or the flu? All of the medicines, tissues, magazines appear out of nowhere. Canada dry bottles, somehow just so much trash. All of the cups and half-eaten snacks. Coco, for example, my nightstand last week. Literally 4,000 tissues were on it. Anyway, disgusted by the state of the house, Blanche starts grabbing used tissues of a sick person and cleaning up. And she has to hurry. Larry and Mike will be there any moment for the double date she has planned. It was enough tissues to strangle a sturdy mule. <laughs> a classic measurement. <laughs> 1.5 mule stranglings. <laughs> it was a lot of tissues. Trying to get her friend to acknowledge she is clearly sick and can't go on a date, Dorothy tells her she's too sick and can't go on the date. Not that it matters to Blanche. She can't understand why Dorothy would care. It's not like this look is as bad as when she burnt her hair and looked like Billy Thomas, the child actor who played the offensive buckwheat on The Little Rascals. Interesting fact, buckwheat was originally played by and as a girl. When Billy was hired on, they dressed him up as a girl and in follow-up films slowly started to go more androgynous before referring to him as a him. Not fun fact, 
His hair and way of speaking are super offensive. Shocking, I know. Even when Dorothy screams at her friend that she is ill, Blanche is unbothered. She wants to go out, and she can't go out alone because this is a double date. It's not like she can just leave Dorothy behind like they're on a wagon trail or something. When the option of canceling the date with Larry is given, Blanche literally laughs it off. She can't cancel the date she's been waiting to have ever since she met Larry at a gas station. Then, to get his attention, she crawled atop his Chrysler LeBaron and left her number by writing it in dirt or by scratching or streaking the rubber from the bottom of the sole of her shoe using her Papagallo shoe on his windshield. A shoe that is still available and looks exactly like the day-wear kitten heel you would imagine Blanche wearing to a chevron. For Dorothy, the story is as romantic as the Duke of Windsor and Mrs. Simpson, who we spoke about back in the Forgive Me Father episode. What? <laughs> they were the ones she was, basically it was like Harry and Meghan now. She was the divorced American and he had to abdicate his role and all that stuff. With a grin, Blanche persists. Dorothy simply must join them. She's not even that sick. Dorothy replies with a cough reminiscent of mine, which poor Coco has to edit out of all of our episodes, and Blanche delights in the fact that Dorothy only has a little throat tickle. With a ripping away of the blanket, Blanche is using the skills of an annoying mother waking a child for school in an attempt to rally Dorothy. But Dorothy simply doesn't have the strength. She's sick, weak. Her body aches. Those same achings, well, maybe not the same achings, are the very reason Blanche simply must go on this date. Over her shoulder, we see a photo of what looks to be two kids at one of those old-timey photo places from a pier. I don't know anything about it. I just wanted to point it out because it's kind of weird. Blanche refuses to let Dorothy's negativity stop her from getting laid. So she begins to excitedly work her up, telling Dorothy it's all in her head. Blanche goes on, becoming more emotive and expressive with each word, and demands for her to stand. Coming in from the kitchen to find her daughter on the couch, with her friend yelling over her like they're at a church sermon, Sophia points out that just because you cake your makeup on like Tammy Faye, it doesn't mean you are her. That burn takes the wind out of Blanche's sails for a moment, giving Dorothy time to get back under the blanket and reject the date once again. Even Blanche's begging doesn't help, especially since Dorothy knows where the future lovers met. Now, normally I might say that Sophia's joke of saying Larry was into Blanche because of her spare tire or her tummy and love handles would be an oh boy. I'm not going to say it's okay to body shame. I'll just pass on the oh boy because Blanche is being such a jerk to Dorothy right now. This causes Blanche to nearly yell in Dorothy's face about what she's doing to her. As shocked as Blanche is at Dorothy, Dorothy is equally shocked at the level of selfishness Blanche is willing to stoop to. Attempting to care for her sick daughter, since her friend won't, Sophia offers Dorothy some more home remedy, a hot toddy, a whiskey-honey-lemon drink. Apparently, Dorothy feels better with booze, or perhaps she's more manageable as a sick person because Sophia has made her four cocktails already. That would be a lot of whiskey, four shots worth, but that isn't the case for Dorothy. That's because there was only one shot of whiskey left, so the following two drinks were made with vodka. This last cup is half a shot of amaretto and half a shot of sambuca. She's certain it will kill all of her germs. It was what killed Sal. 
Now, I can't recall if we get more detail on Sal's death, but perhaps that drink, or drinking in general, as it's alluded he does often, was what killed him. Now, I'm not a drinker, so I don't know if that combination would be good or not. Coco, do you have any thoughts on Sambuca and Amaretto with lemon and all of that together? It sounds awful, because I think Sambuca is anise, like licorice flavor. Ooh. And then lemon, and then you say amaretto. Yes, and, and honey. I don't like it. It might work, but I don't <laughs> want to drink it. Sambuca is one of the things that I would like to drink the least. Mm. What's your liquor that like you can't smell? It takes you back to the... Oh, Malibu rum. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a. I think that's probably on a lot of people's lists. Like they drank it when they were 18 or something. I was 18. Yes. I, I drank it on a lonely, dark dirt road with the th- three other teenagers <laughs> and just, yeah, Ralphed hard. Had, uh, I think, my yeah, it was my first kiss. Oh. And uh, hopefully before the Ralph. Before the Ralphing. And then was taken home to uh, my mother who. Had to watch me just sort of slinky up the stairs, <laughs> up backwards, reverse, reverse, yeah, reverse slinking slinky. up the stairs while gesticulating wildly. Um, she said it was pretty funny. Were you in trouble? Not at all. No. They were just like, "Hey, you're the one that has to deal with puking and the I mean, hangover." I I never forgot it, <laughs> and I still don't. Never forget it. Even sunblock, uh, pastries. Anything oh, if that they're smells like, like too coconutty. Anything coconutty <gasps> gets me. I can I can eat a little bit of coconut, like in a baked good. But if anything like fake coconut, yeah, I might if I might kick someone if they come <laughs> at me with it. Finishing the high octane mug, Dorothy passes out, finally getting some rest. Now here's where we get a big oh boy, and I have to remember this is just a show, and these aren't real people, and that Blanche isn't the worst friend on planet Earth. Once Dorothy's knocked out, Blanche first wants to move her out of the living room so the guys won't see her. When Sophia is like, um, can't she just stay where she's comfortable? Blanche responds in the worst way possible. Before we get into the bad stuff, keep an eye on Dorothy's arm during this moment as it likes to jump from being on her chest to being over her head. Propping Dorothy up on some pillows, Blanche straight up says that Mike is a recently released convict, so he isn't picky about his women. Cutting back to the therapist's office, Dorothy lets us know how the rest of the evening went. She struggled to stay conscious, only doing so as to protect herself from the continual attempted gropings by the silver-toothed, tattooed Mike. Oh, f***ing boy. Although I will say her mentioning the vapor rub on her chest reminds me of a story. A story that will be a nice palate cleanser after the whole Blanche doesn't mind her friend getting sexually assaulted while drunk and fevered. I knew of someone who knew of someone who told that someone that one time when they were sick with a very congested head cold, they had doused their chest in vapor rub. That evening, in bed with their husband, she was apparently feeling a bit better as things started to heat up between them. She wanted to pleasure her husband, but she wasn't quite feeling 100% ready for full intimacy, if you will. So let's see how to explain this for a family-rated show. Instead of lovemaking, she offered a compromise. He could utilize part of her body to recreate that sensation, but with much less work or pleasure for her. He was hot-dogging it. (laughs) 
Hot dog style? Hot dog style, yes, but not in the buns. I I, 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 I This is a family show, so I was... I know so, what you're talking about, but yeah, not those buns. So they enjoy- That'd be a chili dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sucking on chili dogs. Don't do it. Sucking on chili dogs. Outside taste freeze. So they enjoyed themselves, and as the friction increased the pleasure, it increased the heat. Suddenly, the husband was like, why are my genitals on fire? That's when she remembered she had put vapor rub on her chest a few hours earlier and his penis was now covered in it. It was reported that the sensation eventually felt good, but it was shocking at first and quite intense. So not recommended. Okay, back to the show. Blanche doesn't see the problem with what she did or with Mike. He was nice enough. It turns out he and Dorothy interacted enough for her to learn why he had been put in prison. He had been in an Arkansas diner, and when he received runny eggs, he burnt the place to the ground. Rose has now switched sides, agreeing with Dorothy that Blanche needs to apologize. This time, the shut-up Rose is from Blanche. Rose has had it with the disrespect, and she demands Blanche to stop. So Sophia hops in and gives her her own shut-up. Now it's Rose's turn to talk about her feelings. She doesn't understand why, whenever she's talking, the girls gang up on her and eventually yell, Shut up, Rose! Which is exactly what the doctor says when he gets sick and tired of being interrupted by a non-stop talking Rose. Calming himself, Dr. Ashley redirects. Okay, let's get a little more organized here so we can make progress. This has Rose hoping this means he'll agree with them that Blanche is dumb, dumb as a barbell without saying directly that he wants to hear a story about just how stupid Rose is, Doc alludes to as much. Sophia happily jumps at the opportunity. Going back to the house, back to the house, back to the house. We find Dorothy doing her favorite thing, reading the paper on the couch, in khakis and a brown shirt, and Rose is tinkering with a lamp in my favorite airplane sweater. To say Dorothy's reading the paper wouldn't be exactly right, She's reading it with the purpose of finding the classified ad she fatefully decided to have Rose drop off at the paper. When Dorothy claims to have read every ad and hers isn't there, she knows Rose must have done something wrong. But that's just not possible, Rose assures her. Any idiot could have taken the information to the paper to be printed in the want ads. But the only idiot that happened to be going downtown where the offices were was Rose, which is why Dorothy even asked her to do it in the first place. Not only does Rose know she took the ad to the right place, she has proof. Six people had already called in regards to it while Dorothy was out. Taking the paper to prove her friend wrong, Rose begins to look through the ads. Answering the door after the bell was rung, Dorothy finds a stranger on the other side. The yellow shirt, khaki-suited man may not be familiar, but he knows he's looking for Dorothy. Turns out he's there because of the ad in the paper. A strange ad for Dorothy to post, although she has shown handyman skills in the house, I'm not sure what she expected when she posted willing to do anything for $8 an hour. Somehow, this man found where Dorothy lived, or she's a maniac who put her address in the paper, and he's there for her services. She's okay with the idea, she just figured any work that needed to be done would be at the other person's home. Mr. Uncredited Creepo is happy to come to her this time, but once his video camera is repaired, they will be meeting at his house. Not catching on to the guy's vibes, 
Dorothy starts to inquire about the work he wants her to do. Dorothy then learns the man would like to be called Toto. No, mister. This isn't a last name. This is a Wizard of Oz role-playing involving Dorothy as Dorothy and this man as Toto, like the dog. Finally, Dorothy senses the red flags this guy was throwing out and starts to look concerned. At the same time, Rose has returned, paper in hand. She proudly shows Dorothy she was wrong. The ad is in the paper, just like she said. And she's right. It did get taken to the paper. Except that Rose didn't place it in the Help Wanted section. She had it posted in the personals, presenting Dorothy once again as a sex worker. Dorothy is horrified that her legitimate search for work is sharing a page with Doug, the man that is looking for an Asian woman, because Oriental is an oh boy, who wants to get nasty with some cooking oil while looking like the matriarch of the Brady family. Toto knows Doug, and he can vouch for how nasty he is. Realizing why this man is in her house, Dorothy dismisses Toto, luckily without incident. Seeing him to the door, she is shocked and enraged when Toto's exit is followed by a priest's entrance. As Dorothy begins to berate him for being perverted, Sophia comes in carrying a box of donations of which the priest was there to pick up. Realizing her mistake, Dorothy takes the initiative to punish herself with saying the prayer of Hail Mary until Madonna, who at the time had only been in Vision Quest, Shanghai Surprise, Who's That Girl, and Desperately Seeking Susan, which is considered a success but had been overshadowed by the other films, had a hit movie. That means Dorothy could have stopped praying in 1990, although Madonna's role in Dick Tracy isn't exactly praised. But she probably kept rolling those beads until 1992 for a league of their own. But if she counted the ensemble cast as not being a Madonna success, she was praising Mary until 1996 when Madonna finally proved her haters wrong with Evita. And then she undid all of that with Swept Away. But her performance, like the film, is arguably her worst. Are we being punished because we're rich? Is that the problem? No, no, my love. Before Dorothy can get the door closed, another balding, bad suit-wearing Frico scurries past her like a cockroach. With his $8 in hand, he approaches Rose, eager to pay her for her goodies. When she redirects him to the actual Dorothy, the jerk decides she's only worth half her asking price. You're a dirtbag! Disgusted, Dorothy threatens to kick him out. Aroused, he's now willing to go back to the original price. Attempting again to get the door closed, Dorothy nearly closes it on Blanche, who just arrived home and is confused why there's a bus of sailors from Greece parked outside. She also wants to know why they're asking how much of their formerly used currency, the drachma, it would take to pay eight American dollars. Back then, it would have been about 2,580 drachma. The euro of today would have been about even. Realizing the gravity of her mistake, Rose coyly turns away. Back in the therapist's office, the therapist's office. The therapist's office. Rose is still defending herself. Sure, she screwed up, but the sailors taught them how to make the Greek meal of pita with grilled meat and tzatziki sauce, a souvlaki. Berating her friend, Blanche reminds her it isn't just her actions that are stupid, it's her words, clothes, food, and overall existence. After the therapist lets the attack finish, he asks Rose how she feels about it. Easy. She thinks Blanche is a Gurkonklin knockin, a.k.a. the exact moment dog poop turns white, which is normal. No, not calling your friends dog poop, but white poop. 
If the poop looks poopy when it's pooped and turns white after a few days, that's normal. It's the heat and the humidity breaking it down. But if it's white when it's coming out, you need to call your vet. Dale, you're not licking dog shit, okay? Dude, they're kids. No, it's just dog shit. Ridiculous. Hello, how are you? Blanche has never been so offended. Dorothy's maybe trying to hold back a laugh. Rose goes on. A Gerklandenaken is a person you wouldn't be caught dead with sharing your hoodinkaggles. All of Rose's gibberish has Dorothy literally screaming at her to stop with her dumb Nordic words. Shockingly, Rose responds with the loudest yell I think we've heard from her yet, as she tells Dorothy to... So help it out, you tubing burbles! Standing up, the office is starting to look like a scene from Jerry Springer more than the girls. Our ringleader has to yell over the arguments to get the girls to sit and be quiet. So now, on to Dorothy. Why does she suck? Sophia thinks it's because she's intimidating, an accusation Blanche outright denies. There isn't a specific she's selfish or she's dumb thing about Dorothy. It's the overall crappiness about her that they take issue with. What is this? My annual work review? To prove their point, Rose and Blanche gang up to tell the story of a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. Comfortably reading in her pink bed with a pink robe on, Dorothy is enjoying some alone time that is quickly disturbed by a periwinkle nightgown-wearing Rose, who has come by to see how the studying Dorothy has to do for an upcoming exam is going. Swinging her arms and smiling, there's clearly something up with Rose. Inviting herself to keep Dorothy company, Rose is asked to leave. Ignoring her friend's request, Rose climbs under the covers, telling Dorothy to ignore her and stay focused on her work. Before Dorothy can even process the fact that Rose is now under her blanket, Blanche comes in, wearing a silk, multicolored... outfit? That's the only word I'm legally allowed to call this thing. Besides the hint of pink and a shirt with a blue layer of a faux tank top, there are dots arranged in little squares that have her looking like that line connect game we used to play in school. Blanche is ecstatic to see there's already a gathering in Dorothy's bed, of which she will be joining. Hearing all the commotion, Sophia comes in, but not to be a part of the slumber party, but as a chaperone, demanding to see everyone's hands above the blankets. Just like the night Rose tried to find comfort with Blanche, the girls have come to Dorothy because they're scared. Of what? Aliens. Here we get an oh boy in the form of ignorant Blanche having referred to the new Chinese neighbors as aliens. Get away from her, you bitch! To be fair, she was only using the term as it was becoming more popular. From psmag.com, the term alien started to be used in the 50s and referred to anyone who immigrated to the states, legally or not. But when agencies in the government that worked with immigration wanted a bigger budget, they needed to make a ruckus. They started to use the term more frequently and in direct correlation to those who came here illegally. They would talk about the huge influx in numbers, which couldn't be proven, and that the number of aliens meant they needed more money. 
I know I grew up hearing that term used not even as slang, but just as how immigrants were referred to. Sheesh. After Dorothy corrects Blanche as to how to refer to their neighbors, Sophia pipes in with an oh boy of her own, saying they aren't nice people, they eat dogs. While there are countries that eat dogs, judging a society based on their food culture can lead to harmful stereotypes. But while you're thinking about it, you should go check out SaveKoreanDogs.org and make a donation. My pup Boku thanks you for helping out his friends. He's so handsome and so shy. And he's a real love bug. He has the thickest teddy bear fur and a weird mouth, and I love him. That was so sweet. Now Dorothy is correcting her mother, but she thinks the fact that no dogs pee on the lawn, the dogs know what's up, a fact that only Sophia can attest to. But that's not even what the girls meant by aliens. Rose clarifies, it's the ones in space, specifically xenomorphs. The Creature in Aliens, the 1986 sequel to the classic space horror film Alien, which they had rented and watched. While Rose and Blanche were scared of the alien, Sophia was scared, oh boy, because badass queen of space Sigourney Weaver wasn't wearing makeup. I get it, Sophia. You're my Grammy. Gall. After hearing their sob story, Dorothy is happy to offer them comfort and support in their time of need. JK, she has a very important test involving her job in the morning, and she simply must get to studying. Proudly, Sophia watches on as Dorothy keeps her nose to the grindstone, unlike Phil, her brother, who was too busy looking for ladies' clothing he could wear from the hamper. Well, Blanche is just devastated, devastated that they have to leave. Dorothy can't believe they wouldn't be more understanding. With this test, her raise is on the line, and here they are, not taking a moment to consider her needs. Backing her daughter up, Sophia kicks the girls and herself out, now that money is involved, of course. When Blanche pushes back, Sophia threatens that if Dorothy can't focus on the test, she won't get her raise, so they won't be able to afford good meat, and they'll have to learn to cook from the chungs. Oh, boy. Going, 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 back, back. Back to, 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 the, 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 office, office, office. Dr. Ashley is as confused as I am. Now, I appreciate these are all new clips, but if you really need an example of Dorothy being a jerk, I'm pretty sure you can look at how she's treated Blanche the last few months regarding men. I fail to see her as being mean because she had a very important thing to do and it was being disturbed by something childish. Sorry, gals, point goes to Dorothy here. The thing is... That was the point. Rose and Blanche are annoyed Dorothy is patient and helpful and well put together. Dorothy and the doc both agree she has every right to be organized. Rose doesn't disagree. It's just that Dorothy knows how efficient she is, and she uses it to patronize them at times. Yeah, she's not wrong. Blanche is sick of having to live her life to meet Dorothy's expectations. She's so up in their business, she's shocked that she lets them leave the house without getting her panties checked. Of course, she'd have to wear panties for that to happen. When Dorothy makes that point, Blanche is mad at first, but seizes the opportunity to make eyes at the doctor to make sure he knows she's talking about her. Dorothy admits, yes, I am a bit of a bossy control freak, but that's because someone has to step into the leadership role. Sophia disagrees. She's what keeps the group together. Not only that, she isn't appreciated for it. 
making a point of how important her wisdom is in keeping the house functioning, Sophia asked the doctor and us to picture it, the kitchen, a couple of weeks ago. Picture it, the kitchen, a couple of weeks ago. Picture it, the kitchen, a couple of weeks ago. Finding Sophia in a blue floral dress and crimson cardigan, sitting at the table making a line on the milk of magnesia bottle, Rose has come home, wearing a teal dress and precious pink cardigan with teal diamonds on it, and she needs to talk to Sophia. Sophia is marking the line on the medicine because she thinks the gardener, apparently no longer Mr. Yamamoto, has been sneaking some of it. But she isn't so busy she can't talk. Starting to open up about her problem, Rose sits down to talk with Sophia about the sexual assault she experienced at work. Casually, she describes being called into the boss's office, thrown onto his couch, and kissed against her will, saying he was making a pass, and she isn't sure what to do. As Sophia ponders how she can help, she of course has a story that will do so. Before she can go back to Sicily, Blanche, wearing a white shirt and gray-black 80s lightning fashion-inspired jacket, arrives with a problem of her own. She's been casually dating a guy, and she just saw him with another woman. Attempting to start the same story from 1922, Sophia starts with it being the worst of times and the worst of times. Joining the conversation is Dorothy, wearing a large, fashionable jacket that looks like it was made from the curtains of a 1970s game show. We don't get to hear what her issue is. She's just told to sit in the nary-used desk chair and to listen. Okay, Sicily, 1922. A woman with large natural breasts, the same size but different fullness of movie star Bridget Nielsen, who was in Rocky IV, was famously married to Sylvester Stallone, gained newfound fame in the early 2000s thanks to her graphic affair with Flavor Flav, and most recently was in the news for having a baby at 54 years old. So, the Italian girl goes walking down the road. A fancy car cuts her off. It's not about who is in the car, so calm down, Blanche. Heck, it could have been cheesy actor Robert Goulet. Anyway, after the car leaves, the girl realizes she's lost her pepperoni. For all she knew, a deer-like Bambi came by and took it. Fun fact, deer have been known to consume meat every once in a while. Anyway, the stick is gone. In a panic, the girl doesn't know how she'll feed her family. Running, she came upon a river. There, swimming upstream, was the common land meat pepperoni sticks. Turned out, the local pepperoni factory, the town over, was blown up by a pissed-off ex-employee, sending the cured meats flying, eventually landing in the water and making its way in front of the woman. Taking home armfuls of meat, her family was certain it was a miracle from God, but it was just raining cats and pepperoni. For Rose, she feels like the story was telling her to tell her boss off so she could improve her situation. Blanche felt it was more directed at her and the need to dump the cheater. There are plenty of other pepperoni sticks in the river. Finally, learning of Dorothy's issue, it turned out the story was relevant to her too. She couldn't decide what to have for dinner. All of this pepperoni talk has her wanting pizza, which she'll split with Sophia. She'll even pay for it. Once again, the doctor is confused. That story made it sound like Sophia was adored, helpful, and appreciated. So what's the issue? That is the issue. Sophia is all of those things, yet she isn't getting paid 150 bucks an hour like he is. Taking a moment to think it out, Dr. Ashley gives the girls his diagnosis. 
Making it sound like all they would need to do was talk things out, the doctor clarifies, you ladies are totally incompatible. They don't better each other in any way. With dropped faces and broken hearts, the girls start to argue against his diagnosis. There must be something they can do. But he insists they're better off saving the money they're spending on him to use on their moving costs. As the ladies leave, sadly, Sophia stops. She knew this guy would suck. If he had been a real therapist, which to her is a con man, he would have had them coming in for months on end. But because he was able to work things out in one visit, he isn't legit. It's weird that the boomers struggle to communicate their emotions, huh? Back at the house, the girls are sitting around the table, starting to plan how they should move ahead and away. Of course, they can still be friends and hang out, even if they aren't roomies. Sophia can't say what the girls should do, but what she does know is that besides there being the only house on the block without a pool, which begs the question, which pool did Oliver puke in on New Year's that Dorothy is still upset about? Anyway, what Sophia does know is that through dreams, dates, and drama, the women get together, work it out, and of course, eat. No need to compare Rose's butt to a whale's, Sophia. Her point, once she gets to it, is that yes, life and relationships are hard, but you work through it. So the ladies agree. It's time to get the chocolate sauce, whipped cream, and cheesecake. In fact, this moment where they've decided to stay together and work through their differences should be commemorated with a Polaroid picture. Luckily, Blanche has a Polaroid camera, and she can grab it for them when she gets to the somehow room-temperature-stable whipped cream she keeps in her bedroom. And luckily for me, as of an hour ago, I get to say I can get the Polaroid camera from my room because today is my birthday and Coco gave me a Polaroid camera. Thank you, Coco. It was my great pleasure. You deserve all the Polaroid cameras in the world. Aw, thank you. And then we'll be rich. <laughs> Before we wind down here, I've got some random information. First, we have a possible plot whoopsie. In the episode Second Motherhood, we met Lou, the plumber. On IMDb, Alan Blumfield is listed as Lou, the plumber. But there's also a plumber listed named Terry Willis. And in this episode, Terry is listed as playing Carl. But I don't know who Carl is. Then there's someone listed as playing Jerry. Again, I don't know who that is. But that's John C. Moskoff, so maybe that was who Toto was actually his real name or something. Anyway, John was in Laverne and Shirley, Different Strokes, St. Elsewhere, Moonlighting, Jake and the Fat Man, 30-something, Bugsy, Wonder Years, Mad About You, Veronica's Closet, Cable Guy, Friends, ER, Everybody Hates Chris, and the only one season long-lasting Law & Order, Law. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Law & Order, Los Angeles. Relationships of every kind are difficult and take work. What's important is making sure the work it takes is worth the relationship you get in return. If it's truly difficult to manage and maintain happiness, you should probably call it quits. If it takes little work and brings you great joy, then it's worth maintaining. I love that the girls not only went to therapy, but went as friends. 
Just as conversations around platonic intimacy are becoming more common, the idea of couples therapy for friends should also be a conversation. I know I could definitely help pay for a therapist's retirement with myself and my friends. Another good point, you don't always need another person's opinion. Sometimes you just need to talk things out and trust your gut. Oh, and don't put your want ad in the personals. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we learn a bit more about Charlie and Rose's past with Charlie's Buddy. Today we will be... Will Sophia finally get... Will Sophia's... Wow. Fun fact, today's title is inspired by the 1932 crime drama. Did I say weird? You saved the drama for your mama. <laughs> he may look familiar, especially as a therapist, and that's not because he's being played by Philip Sterling. I don't know why I said not. That's literally the opposite of the point I'm making. If your lip shits, then my ass can talk. Hey! Was that your ass talking or your lip shits? That Lucy wig looks terrible on you. I bet it's I bet it's super problematic, probably. Or I mean, I hit, uh, well, let me start that again. So I don't want to say that. I was gonna say it's in, set in the South. Well, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> Hello, thank you for calling Kirby and Sassy. Empty Canada dry bottles somehow trash, just like at least one point five mule stranglings worth. My mule strangling butler. <laughs> We've gone too far. Mule Stranglesworth. <laughs> oh, Mule Stranglesworth. Strangle my mule. Get this mule over here and strangle it at once. <laughs> that sounds like a... You gotta go strangle the old mule. You gotta go strangle the mule. <laughs> Hee-haw. <laughs> Someone's got the birthday sillies. I hated that noise. It made me want to barf. Oh, sorry. Let me turn my mic on for that. It made me want to barf. It, it it ended so abruptly. <laughs> that was the barf. <laughs> now I've rubbed my eyes, so I'll never be able to read again. <laughs> Dorothy tell Dorothy tells her she's You're like Dorothy tells her. Dorothy tells her. Dorothy tells her. Hey, I'm too sick. No, no, no. I was saying that's the that's the episode with Frank's. No, I know. Isn't it? Yes, it is. Oh, are you being fun? Well, no, I was just answering your what, even though I knew it was from the episode. Gotcha. What? <laughs> when Dorothy replies with a cough reminiscent of mine, which, jo oh, I say Josh. Coco. 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 Like they're at a church sermon. Sermon. <laughs> Dorothy is equally shocked at the level of selfishness. Selfishness. Before we get into that bad stuff, staff. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'll just do the rub part. <laughs> no vapo. Mm -mm. Hot dogging it. <laughs> With a rub. Arkenstraw. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm not the one on trial here. I got tricked by his lady lastie. This has Blanche hoping this means he'll agree with them that... Oh. <laughs> is followed by a priest's interest. Entrance. 
I have uh, debilitating problems, <laughs> and I look back on my time as a youth, and it hurts. What are we talking about? <laughs> I truly forgot what I was talking about halfway through. Very stoned. Happy birthday. What was your question? Oh, Catholic school? Because she's always there mixing was... out. She had the mix-up with, um, in... Uh, uh, should we go to Pita Pit? That reminds me, it's time for your annual review. <gasps> and? You're the best in the world, and I love you. Oh, heck, you too. And happy birthday. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that my annual review is on my birthday. It really could hinder the entire day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, next year is going to be rough for you. <laughs> Real rough. Each person can connect one dot to another. And the goal is to make a box, and then you get to put your initial in there. It's a very fun game. It sounds like it. <laughs> anyway, that's what her nightgown looked like. <laughs> Cute. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sisters. Open your mouth once more. I swear to God, I'm going to nail it shut. <laughs> <laughs>